Chris Hewitt and welcome back to the second part of our very, very special countdown of the 50 greatest movie heroes of all time as voted for by the readers and listeners of Empire Magazine and the Empire Podcast. How exciting! In the first part we went from Heroes 50, Martin Brody and Jaws all the way down to Hero 26, Imperator Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road. And now I have convened three heroes of such lethal cunning to talk through the next 25 on the list, culminating in number one. Who can it be? Who can it be? And those three heroes of such lethal cunning are Leia Cake, a.k.a. Helen O'Hara. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Leia is my homie. <laughs> Leia is your homie. Sadly, she didn't make the list. Uh, what can I say? But, um, <gasps> you know... I, or did she? Or did she? <laughs> uh, uh, next up, we're joined by I Can Do This All Day, But I'd Rather Not. It is America's Ass, Amon Warman. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Hello. Watford, Watford's Ass, surely. <laughs> <laughs> Watford's Ass, Wakanda's Ass, America's Ass. One of the three. <laughs> The emphasis here is on ass. We're focusing on the ass, not on the location. Uh, and last but not least, we're joined by Ben Kenobi, a.k.a. Ben Travis. Let's hope the negotiations are short. Or something like that. I, I aspire to Ben Kenobi's like terrible level of crack. He's got like the worst the worst sense of humour in, uh, in the galaxy far, far away, and I feel like that's what I bring to this podcast. So... You want to go home and rethink your life. <laughs> yeah, where's your where's um, your boy on this list? Where's Slee's Bagano? He's not a hero, is he? He tries to sell Obi Wan Kenobi death sticks. Well, we don't Prick. know. Once he once he rethinks his life, maybe he's a hero after that. I want to go home and rethink my life. You want to go home and rethink your life? Dear God, I mean, I'm a genius, genius, genius stuff from a genius level film. Obviously. Oh, dear. <laughs> Anyway, Alain Slees Bagano, spoiler alert, is not on the list of 50 greatest movie heroes. Uh, have any Star Wars characters been on? Oh, yes, we had the big argument about Ben Solo and Rey Skywalker in the last mm. part. That was a lot of fun. Um, there are some spoilers, some Star Wars characters yet to come. But we're going to start with number 25, not a Star Wars character, although give Disney time. It is Wolverine. Snicked. <laughs> yes. It says a lot about a character that... Um, you know, you make such a big impression in the first movie that the entire franchise then revolves around you and only you, and basically all of the sequels uh, for, uh, after, after it. Um, and, you know, Hugh Jackman just left such a big impression, um, and he, mm. you know, deserved the, the screen time. He repaid it in, in full. Um, and, you know, X-Men 2 and X-Men Days of Future Past are largely the movies they are because of how they use his character. Mm. And then, of course, mm. you've got Logan, which is one of the best comic book films ever. Uh, the, the fact that X-Men Origins Wolverine didn't kill that character is testament to how great he is and how uh, <laughs> how great Hugh Jackman is in that role, because that is a, a real stinker, but he, he survived it. Like anything, he just he just, he just just grew all his skin back after, uh, after that absolute <laughs> dog shit. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the problem with X-Men Origins Wolverine, God, that title, apart from the title, the problem is... What we wanted from that movie was a Wolverine movie, and what we got was another ensemble piece, but with characters who aren't nearly as interesting as the X-Men. You know, 
it just make a Wolverine movie and we will love it. And as it turned out, that was pretty much the case with Wolverine and certainly the case with Logan. Um, so it, he is that good. And I know that they basically took him from the stage and from Oklahoma and maybe musical theaters lost his <laughs> superhero films gain. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was it was a sacrifice that I, as a musical theater fan, am willing to pay because this is mm. kind of where he belongs. And Absolutely. he does get back now and again, of course. He does. Uh, and yeah, yeah. As much as I admired Degray Scott, I don't think he would, he would have had the same impact. No, no, could be completely wrong. He might have been absolutely amazing, but I just don't see it somehow. But uh, but Wolverine is the best there is at what he does, and what he does is finish just behind Ethan Hunt, uh, apparently, because uh, Ethan Hunt is number twenty four on our list. A man who truly doesn't know the the meaning of the word impossible. Um, <laughs> he <it's, really> doesn't. <laughs> I think that's what's great about him. Like in every film, they throw just the most insane situation situations at him and force him to to use his resources and occasionally gadgets and a lot of stretchy rubber masks to uh, to get through it all and he does it every time um and i guess that's also the story of tom cruise yeah mm-hmm. i think M- mccoy really <laughs> nailed down the the character in the last few movies and especially with fallout there's that line uh where i think um alec baldwin's character is basically saying there's something inside of you yes. that won't let you know, one person died to save millions. And that's Ethan Hunt. He will always value life in the moment over potential problems down the road. And that's honorable to me. I I put the hero moment for this one and I put the scene in Fallout where he chooses to save the female cop um, who is under threat. And that's just, that is Ethan Hunt in a nutshell. He could have- That is absolutely, yeah. He's Star Trek 2, not Star Trek 3. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what does that mean He's the, needs of the, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many ah, and not okay. the needs of the, the many needs... outweigh the needs of the one look everything yes. comes down to Star Trek 2 versus Star Trek 3 like this is genuinely yeah. most which moral is... dilemmas can be solved by, with one of those two solutions so. indeed which is why it's still a travesty that Spock is not on this list but hey it we'll is. get to that thread at the end we'll get right at the very, very end uh, <laughs> deeply deeply logical yeah Ethan Hunt's great he, he looks great long hair short hair Clinging to a plane, jumping off a building, do whatever it is. Uh, he's uh, indefatigable. He is the living manifestation. No, it was He's a manifestation, the manifestation of destiny. Living manifestation of <laughs> destiny. Uh, and I also love that line of Fallout: "What's done is done. What we say it's done." Um, yeah. And that's very much to Ethan Hunt as well. Like I imagine, even at the even at the end of the last Mission Impossible movie, when he's bleeding out. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> you know, he'll still somehow manage to save the world. He'll somehow manage to fashion a blood a gun from his blood and save the world. Um, <laughs> Number 23 uh, is very exciting for me. Um, it's Marty McFly from Back to the Future. And this is interesting in terms of heroism. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate to interview Michael J. Fox for the issue for this. And a uh, bit of a lifelong dream for him. And he finally got it uh, realized <laughs> by being interviewed by me. And, uh, you know, it was tremendous. But the first thing he went, the first thing he said to me was, yeah, oh, I never really saw him as a hero. So is Marty McFly a hero? I guess he is in the sense that his destiny is to have to try and make sure that his mum and dad bang and trying to get over the awkwardness of that to make sure that he literally exists um, is quite heroic. Um, in fairness, Ben, it's just he has to just make them kiss, not bang. He doesn't have to be there like positioning George, you know, to make sure. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. Um, yeah, look, it's, I mean, I guess the heroic thing he does is, is save Doc Brown's life, right? And, and give him the warning, um, despite the risk to his own future. 
um, when he does so. That that's that's I think the most purely heroic, non selfish thing. Yes, that he does certainly in that first film. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything else it, he does is is just is, is self preservation is to is to mm. keep himself alive. But that yeah, you've nailed it. That's absolutely the moment um, that I think is is heroic for him. But uh, you know, he's just a great character. Again, yeah. again, a bit of a an everyman, bit of a cocky kid, impossibly cool, impossibly influential. And again, we're talking about you know sliding doors moments. You know, I don't know that this movie is talked about if Eric Stoltz. No, isn't fired no. after a couple of weeks. I mean, look, he's a very fine actor, and he's been in, in given great performances in many movies. But you know, I've seen certainly those clips of footage. I've certainly read about his performance, and and it just sounds like he didn't have the lightness that mm. Michael J. Fox gives to that character and that sense of. Um, I mean, he wasn't. Was he still a teenager? I don't think he was a teenager at the time, right? No, he, he was, wasn't. He was forty-seven years old. <laughs> But he has a sort of a lightness about him and a, and a sense of possibility and a sense of of uncertainty about himself that makes him feel quite teenage. Um, and I think I don't think Eric Stoltz really had that in him, um, even in his sort of you know teen movie heyday, you know some kind of wonderful and stuff like that. He didn't have that that sense of possibility in the same way I think that mm. that Michael J. Fox does. He's too intense. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Michael J. Fox is intense, but in, in a different way, uh, obviously. It's a, it's an intensity that's closer to panic, I think, for Michael J. Fox. Yes. Um, in that movie, there's also something really, really aspirational about him. Like you wanted to be him when you when you saw him, whether it was in this or or Secret of My Success or Teen Wolf, which is a movie that he has no fondness for, believe me. Oh. But um, <laughs> but it's it's fascinating. Just you know, when you realize what he went through. Like his performance is so switched on, it's so mm. alive, it's so energetic, it's so full of vitality. And he was filming Family Ties during the day and then going straight to the Battle Future set at night and filming all night. And he would do that for like four or five days a week for seven weeks in a row. It's insane. It's astonishing I mean, to me that, that, that yeah. he's even coherent in that film, let alone as plugged in as he is. Yeah. Um, number 22, Natasha Romanoff. AKA the Black Widow. Yeah, I like her. She's good. Um, <laughs> good. Number twenty-one <laughs> is. <laughs> no, but I think I think what's interesting about Natasha is she's been on the other side, and she has read in her ledger, as she always says, and we have seen her kind of struggle to make up for that. We've seen the struggle for redemption. We've seen the struggle for atonement um, that she's gone through over all these films, and it gives her a kind of wisdom that I really. Uh, like about her. She's very measured. She weighs things up. She's the person that Captain America turns to for advice, uh, unlike almost anybody else in that gang. And um, <laughs> and I think that's because she has some perspective and she, and she comes at things looking to do the right thing, but she's aware of how the other side thinks as well. She's, she's a really rounded character and I can't wait for her own solo film, which of course I think is only going to move her up this list, if anything. And you, you look at the way that she's changed across the MCU as well, like her introduction in Iron Man 2 is is not great. The way that they sort of present that character and the the very minor amount that that she gets to do, but then especially over um, Winter Soldier and mm -hmm. through Avengers and um, especially onto Endgame, where you have that. It's in Endgame. It's what you don't see of her. It's what she's been doing in that five year gap, um, where you get the sense that she is the one who is really struggling with the guilt with the survivor's guilt and doing everything that she can 
to find a solution to bring everybody back. And when you come back five years later, she hasn't, but she's still there. She's still at HQ. She's sort of despairing, but she she's trying. She's still wrestling with that need to to kind of yeah balance out and um yeah I, I really like the way that they sort of take her arc from where you meet her to where you sort of leave her in endgame is um is an astonishing astonishing arc. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think any other character in the MCU has had the impact over as many characters as Natasha has. That's one of the reasons why her death in Endgame hits so hard because it impacts Mark Ruffalo's Hulk, it impacts Tony Stark's timeline, it really impacts Cap. You wouldn't get that reaction with many of the other sort of kinds of men. I mean, definitely not Hawkeye, who's, who's the only sort of person. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 like, yeah. I would have felt it. But the other no, Avengers, it, maybe not as much. But um, It would have been very much, uh, they come back onto the time platform and it's like, where's Clint? And Natasha's standing there with tears in her eyes and everyone's like, oh, well. We've established when they don't have Clint on their side, they lose. Every single time, mm. they lose. Every mm. team needs a massive Clint, Helen. That's, that's <laughs> apparently true. But yeah, I mean, look, the, the fact that she's connected to all the other Avengers is a little bit... It's a little bit down to the way we use women in these stories, uh, which is that they're allowed to have the emotional moments with men that men are not allowed to have with each other uh, in, in some cases. And I, I do feel that's not necessarily ideal in some ways, uh, but you're right. It definitely does exist uh, in the stories and, and that's why she's kind of closer to everybody else, maybe. Yeah, I, th- I think she's great. And, and I was just thinking there actually that uh, I'm surprised Banner's not on this list. I'm, I'm looking at the list and spoiler for for what what's going to happen. But of the of the original Avengers, no one's expecting uh, Hawkeye to be in this list. I don't think Jeremy Renner would vote for Hawkeye <laughs> on this list. To be honest, and listen, this is not a diss of Hawkeye. We we love Hawkeye. He's great in Age of Ultron in particular. But uh, uh, I'm surprised that Hulk slash Banner is not on this list because he's so damn good in the MCU. And I I loved his relationship with with Natasha, and I mm. loved the fact that you know. They were two broken souls trying to trying to find each other, and it's still a little bit sad that they kind of dropped that. I, mean, I can see why they would drop it, but uh, and there's there's still it still resonates in Endgame. Clearly, mm. they still hold a torch for each other, but uh, they've both moved on with their lives, and they miss they miss that window, as they say. You know, they miss that little that that little window. But Natasha's great. I rewatched the other night because I'm a massive cliche. Uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, and I think that is the best Natasha movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the one in which she you know, gets the most to do. It's the one in which she's the most well-rounded. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is delicious in that movie. And as she's playing Natasha pretty much all the way through as if she's in on a joke that none of the other characters are. Mm-hmm. Uh, even uh, even down to the you know the very, very end, she's always got a little smirk in her face. Even when things get serious, she's just like, she's just slightly detached from it all. Um, her banter with Steve is, is great all the way through that as well. And uh, yeah, I, I get what you mean, Helen, about, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the fact that she connects with Clint and and Steve and and Bruce is possibly reductive. It's, it's also possibly motivated by the fact that she was the only female character of any note in the MCU yeah, for the first that's what I mean, ten yeah. or twelve movies. But um, but also she, as a spy, she does have to be something to everybody, and she does have to think in her feet. But mm-hmm. I think that those connections are very very real and very very genuine, and that's what gives her death and Endgame a real 
oomph. Spoiler mm. for Endgame, by the way. And I, <laughs> I still hope, and I know the Black Widow is a prequel, but I still hope that they find a way to bring her back somehow. No, don't do it. Make that matter. That's true. Marvel has already played with fire with that far too much. And <laughs> I think the last sort of few minutes, they finally learned that lesson. Finally, like even Winter Soldier, as much as I love that movie, you know, they put the Nick Fury death in the damn trailer for goodness sake, you know, before for the film did came they? out. So yeah, they did. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, as much as I like Natasha, I like Black Widow, uh, I'd rather uh, stay dead. I think what's going to happen anyway, wow. I, I predict, um, and I'm very, very here for it, is that Florence Pugh is going to sort of take the mantle of Black Widow going forward. And as a massive Florence Pugh fan, I have absolutely no issue with that. I'm sure you're not wrong, uh, but, you know, I think Natasha... What is it with you and Natasha, people to she, come back? You want, you want Logan to sort of, you know, pop his claws out from his grave and come back as well? Just like, let just, just for a laugh. Just for a laugh. <laughs> you know, he was, he was ready to die, for God's sake. You know, he'd, he'd found some grey hairs. At that point, that's when you just want to end it all. But Natasha, Natasha wasn't ready to die. Natasha deserves to live. She's got so much to live for. She literally fought to die, so she was ready to die. Like, <laughs> like definitely, clearly. There's splitting hairs here. <laughs> Semantics. Semantics. Anyway, uh, number 22 is Black Widow. Number 21, I was delighted to see this on the list. It is Rocky Balboa. Okay, so don't push me on the West Rambo. Um, yeah. If you had to empireonline.com now, you can buy tickets to the Empire podcast teams, sings, movies, scores. <laughs> We're going on tour. Oh God! Can you imagine? Yeah. Oh my God! We, we should definitely sing Sold out stadiums. Write that down. <laughs> Write that down. That'd be amazing. Uh, oh, anyway, honestly, I would pay Rocky. to hear me do orchestral themes. Magic That'd has be just amazing. happened in this room. <laughs> Eh? Portals. Anyway, uh, yes, yeah. Rocky Balboa, uh, he's amazing. I, I love this character. He is so warm-hearted. He is so courageous. He is uh, He's stumbling and bumbling, but he's a wonderful creation. And we, did a, we just did a, a ranking uh, about the Rocky movies, which will be out in the next issue of Empire Magazine. Spoiler alert. Um and it just, you know, revisited in all these movies uh, and, the you know, the, the six Rocky movies and the two Creed films as well. Just reminded me that this is kind of unlike really any other character on the list. Yes, there are characters that we follow across a, a, a number of movies. Tony Stark and Wolverine, obviously, and James Bond, you know, James Bond, 25 films in 50 some <laughs> years. But the Bond films are very, very strange and keep pressing the reset mm. button and, you know, there's no sense of continuity for, for a long, long time. Whereas with the eight movies in which Rocky appears, you get this sense of a life lived on screen going from 1976 all the way to his most recent appearance, which was 2018, mm. I think. Uh, 2018 for, for Creed 2. Maybe the last time we see the character. But in that time, we, we experience ups and downs and triumphs and losses and 
births and deaths and and Stallone is just phenomenal as his character a character of course he created and that he has written for the most part and that I firmly believe and I've said this before in the podcast and I'll say it again in the podcast that he should have won at least one Oscar for um, specifically for Creed mm. Mark Rylance has uh, has absconded with uh, Stallone's <laughs> Oscar and I demand that he hand it back at the earliest convenience um, he's a great yeah, actor Mark Rylance you can't argue with Mark Rylance come on come on Crazy. You can. You absolutely can. <laughs> that Bridge of Spies performance is not even fit to be mentioned in the same How breath as, uh, as Stallone in Creed. That's, but, uh, that's but going a bridge too far. <laughs> oh! <laughs> anyway, I absolutely adore Rocky Balboa, or Robert, as I discovered his first name is. Um, and, uh, but I have a sneaking suspicion I'm alone in this, no, in this group. No, you're not. Like I, I like really? I like Rocky a lot. I'm not saying that you know boxing films are ever going to be my favorite genre, but I like mm. that he is a hero who sometimes fails and gets himself back up and keeps going. And I think he's a, he's a likable kind of lug. You know, he's sort of he's maybe not the smartest guy in the world, but he's kind of. He does as much as he can with what he has, and I think that's an inspiration to all of us. I can see now why uh, he appeals to me so much. He's a likable lug. He's not the smartest, but he does the best with what he has. He's not- and that describes Ben in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, you guys. I'm trying. And I'll get the turtles one day. Oh, those turtles. Oh. I want those turtles. He's always been likable, uh, but I've really enjoyed him uh, sort of coming into that sort of trainer uh, relationship with mm-hmm. uh, with Donnie in in the Creed movies, which I absolutely love, and you know the, yeah. the fa- father mm-hmm. son that that's one of my sweet spots, and it's really done very well uh, in in those in both of those films. And if we, I think you know Creed three is in the works. Um, I know that he's previously mm-hmm. said that you know Creed two was his last hurrah, but I would not be mad if we got a little bit of him in the third one as well. Yeah, I'm a little torn in this one, to be honest, because I think he has such a, a wonderful send-off in Creed 2. You know, he reunites with his son, but also he has that lovely shot at the end after, you know, Donnie... Uh, oh, spoilers, after Donnie wins the <laughs> final fight. Uh, and he has that lovely shot where he's framed from behind. And I feel that almost if that's the last we see of... Stallone as Rocky. I'd be happy with that. Uh, also, the, the Creed 2 was kind of setting up the idea that geographically he and Donnie are no longer linked to that Donnie has moved to LA. So it kind of begins to make less sense for Rocky to be a part of his life, physically at least. Um, and I think maybe now that the torch has been handed over properly in that franchise. So, you know, uh, a Creed 3 that focuses purely on Donnie and Bianca would be would be really interesting, I think. But I, I, listen, I love those movies. I could talk about them all day. But one thing about Rocky and the next character, the one at number 20, kind of leads me into... Uh, I want to discuss very briefly the nature of, of heroism and what heroism is and how you qualify for this list. Because this list, as Amon said right back at the beginning of part one, is dominated by comic book heroes, which obviously reflects the way the cinema has changed over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, but it's also dominated by heroes who have, you know, heroes who who put themselves in the line of danger constantly and, you know, who sacrifice things and, you know, put themselves in mortal danger and have guns or swords or a chainsaw attached to a stump. Um, and there's not a lot of heroes on this list like a Marty McFly or a, or a Rocky who, you know, are the quiet heroes who don't put their lives in the line. And, um, you know, just wanted to be, well, for, for you, <laughs> it's very for you, what a cinema, but for you, what, you know, what, what constitutes heroism? 
Well, I'm I'm glad that we had at least the likes of Atticus Finch, because I think that kind of character is very much a hero. It's the sort of person who stands up to a, a difficult system. And actually, if you look at kind of legal movies, there are quite a lot of those kind of characters. Um, so I'm thinking of people like, I mean, arguably Erin Brockovich, it's the doggedness and the determination that make her a hero. It's not, you know, the way she talks or the way she dresses or swinging an axe. Um, mm. People like um, Mark Ruffalo recently in Dark Water, his character, again, it's doggedness, it's determination, it's a refusal to be cowed by, the, by a much bigger opponent. It's the sort of David versus Goliath thing. And those are fights, those are battles, but they're not physical conflicts in the same way as, as many of the people on the list. There are many different definitions of heroism, which I think are equally valid. But just in answer to the question, the thing that most immediately springs to mind, I think, is overcoming great hardship in order to do the right thing. And um, there's mm. a lot of heroes who uh, on this list who fit that description. And that is definitely one of the, uh, the immediate things that comes to mind, having that strong moral compass that they must follow no matter what the consequence is, that's her wisdom to me. I think in terms of Brocky and the next person we're going to speak about, there is an element of, um, it's it's not necessarily a moral fight, but it's whatever they are fighting for, they are going to keep fighting until they can't fight anymore. So, Because uh, I, I think when we talk about number 20, the, the notion of heroism is kind of questionable there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this particular character, like he is unstoppable and he takes a hell of a lot of beatings. Um, but whatever his mission may be, he will continue in that mission uh, against an insane amount of adversaries um, until he's victorious or until he's a little pulp on the floor and needs scooping up. <laughs> to quote uh, Elliot Ness, who's another character who's not on this list, mm. never stop fighting until the fight is done. Yes. And to quote Rocky, it ain't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. And uh, that certainly sums up Rocky Balboa, Robert Balboa. But it also <laughs> sums up number 20. We've talked around it long enough. God damn it. It's John motherfucking Wick. Um, Baba Yaga. And I was lucky enough. <laughs> Baba Yaga. I was lucky enough to interview Keanu uh, Reeves. <laughs> like anyone needs to add the second name. Wait, he has a second name? <laughs> Which Keanu were you interviewing, Chris? Oh, you know, <laughs> Keanu Henderson. <laughs> it's Keanu goddamn Reeves. Uh, so I interviewed Keanu Reeves for this. And my first question was, do you think, do you even see John Wick as a hero? And he went, Oh, the old hero anti-hero conundrum. And, and, I love him so much. But, it's, but it's, it's, it's kind of true, isn't it? You know, because John Wick is not terribly heroic per se, but he looks really, really cool. So, very cool. He's a hero. I mean, look, he, is, he has done bad things in his life. We have some reason at least to believe that he has done those bad things because of the way he was brought up in the society he was brought up in, arguably, we could have that discussion. Um, and ultimately, what he's fighting for is, you know, a sort of innocence that was taken in the form of a puppy that was killed, for God's sake, <laughs> by worse people than he is. Alfie, goddamn Alan. <laughs> Damn him. The, the first John Wick film is ultimate, is sort of the 
the ultimate film for dog lovers and also the <laughs> very worst film that you could ever show to a dog lover at the same time. Yeah. Um, but I kind of love how in that in that opening, it fully justifies the 80 plus murders to come in John Wick 1 and then however many more you get in 2 and 3, the, the spiralling body count. It's absolutely insane for somebody we're going to deem as a hero. But um, I, I quite like the fact that he... he sort of instigates that ongoing fight because he decides to to push back against little Theon Greyjoy. Um, <laughs> and then everything that happens from there is just all these sort of uh, pinging ramifications. One thing leads to another, to another, to another, and he keeps getting drawn back in. He's sort of fighting just to try and live a normal life. Um, but his way of doing that is just killing loads of people with books and swords and fists and guns, lots of guns, pencils. Yeah. <laughs> Horses. Horses. He uses gun-foo, he uses car-foo, he uses horse-foo, he uses pencil-foo. There is nothing... There is nothing that this guy cannot kill you with. The the killing of, of the um, giant guy in the library in John Wick Chapter 3 with a book yeah. is extraordinary anything um, you can do born i can do better um <laughs> but yeah my casino will beat a book i i still think maybe one of my favorite bits is in the opening fight of john wick 2 where he slams that guy with the car he like spins the car around and it just whacks that dude out of the way i don't remember yeah. uh, for me like that's a series that gets better and better as it goes along yeah. and that was the moment where i was like oh my god the next two hours are going to be the best thing i've ever seen <laughs> Still, still my favorite of the bunch too, I think. But I, I do love how in one, the myth making is so good. Before mm -hmm. one single bullet is fired, you're so, it just gets you so ready and hyped and they build him up so well. Um, and, and that's just, you know, really great filmmaking. And then once the bullets start flying, you just love it even more. It's great. Yeah. I, I kind of I, I agree that the action gets better across the trilogy steadily. I do think that one is still my favorite just because I feel it like it's more elegant than the rest. I love that there are just hints of the mythology in one and little references to stuff that you never see and don't really understand um, without it being developed because sometimes it just can't live up to what you imagine in your head. And so far for me, the high table has not lived up to what I imagined in my head from number one. So. I yeah I absolutely love it but I but I will admit the action does get sadly better but I think he's he, like he has the clearest arc in one because he is clearly out on a specific mission with a specific goal in mind and then of course it all gets murkier in two and three mm. yeah we should also emphasize as well in terms of the hero hero anti-hero thing <laughs> uh, we should uh, we should point out he kills bad people mm. right you know. Nobody, you know, you don't get John Wick knocking at your door unless you've done something to bring him there, right? That that sort of thing. Exactly. So whether it's Santiago in in number two or just you know all these dudes and 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 dudesses who are paid to take him out in two and three, you know, they deserve it. I mean, there everybody's pretty bad. There is a very rich <laughs> ecosystem of appalling people in these movies yeah. so that's yeah. i guess yeah. the, the takeaway the, the beautiful thing about the first one is that is that they know they deserve it as well at least to, to a point like when when i forgot i forget his name but when he when he calls the the, the car dealer and it's like you know I, i'm told you struck my son well he he took john witt's car sir and he he killed his dog oh 
<laughs> it's, it's just like, the best bit. It's so yeah. good. It's like, yeah. Oh shit! Keanu's incredible. I mean, we're we're going to talk about we've we've done two John Wick spoiler specials. We've done one for Chapter Two, Chapter Three. We're about to do one for Chapter One at some point uh, in the next uh, few days. Uh, so we'll probably talk about this on that as well. But he has, to my mind, five heroes who all would have been worthy of being on this list. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. And I'm not even counting Bill or Ted. And so Ted. he's got, you know, Ted. Is it Ted? It's Ted. Okay, I will never get that. I will never get that. Uh, so it is, you know, he's he's played Neo, John Wick, who are both on this list. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's Jack from Speed. There is John Constantine from mm-hmm. Constantine. Johnny there is Utah. Johnny Utah from Point Break. And then, of course, Bill or Ted from Bill and Ted. And, you know, that's six iconic heroes who could easily have been in this list. I mean, not He's... even getting into chain reaction. I mean. Or, no, well, if we were, we would be here all day. All day. Yeah. <laughs> or Jonathan Harker. I know where the bastard sleeps. <laughs> you know. He's incredible. I, He's incredible. I think with John Wick, a big part of it is the heroic admiration of Keanu Reeves himself because the sheer dedication he puts into those sort of fight sequences the the amazing sort of legacy off screen of that character of of all the crazy training videos the things that he puts him through himself through and the way that chad stahelski pushes him they constantly try to one-up themselves and push each other further and further and it's i think part of the heroism is in that performance is in that dedication to sort of yeah outdoing themselves and Mm -hmm. putting something on screen that is genuinely going to take audiences breaths away so i think Almost that is a character that has as much of a legacy off the screen as it does on because of Keanu Reeves. Mm. Cannot wait for John Wick Chapter 4, which I believe has now been delayed to 2022. But Well, he needs some time God. to heal. Bloody hell. He's like <laughs> absolutely been through the shit. He did take the a massive fall. Yeah. <laughs> And he had been shot twice, but luckily his bulletproof suit <laughs> deflected some of the bullets. He was nearly dead, but he got better. Speaking of which, where's Chev Chelios on this list? Yeah, <laughs> We're going to get to omissions later on, and my omission list is basically every Jason Statham character. Uh, so, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, let's move on to number 19, which is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm. Obi-Wan. Uh, that's a name I've not heard in a long time. Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's a, he's a flawed hero, isn't he? He is, he, yeah. Because he, he takes on sort of the burden of becoming Anakin's um, sort of, uh, yeah, master after, after Qui-Gon's death. But he can't help but be part of the reason that Anakin has his downfall. He's somebody who's trying to fight for what's right, but I don't think he necessarily understands his own limitations, which partly leads to what happens in the prequel trilogy and then by the time he rocks up in the um in the original trilogy he's just an old man who like hands over some old bits and then like floats away there's a youtube channel uh called fix it in post which is reimagined that final fight between uh, obi-wan and darth vader it's really really great i think it's got like 25 million views that video it's awesome. You should go and watch it. Um, but I've never seen that. Yeah, no, it's really, really good. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll post the link once, once this is up. Um, but yeah, no, I really like Obi Wan, and I also uh, I'm someone who watched the the Star Wars Clone Wars animated series, which is really, really good, and he's really, really fun in mm. that as well. And uh, I'm really looking forward to Ewan McGregor's solo series because I really enjoyed mm. him as that character, and I think he still has a lot more to add to it. 
Yeah, I think I think that's going to be key. I feel like Obi Wan Kenobi right now, his heroism is based on mentoring Luke in the first film, and it's really not based on the prequels much at all. Really, I mean, he takes Anakin down at the end, but you know, it's a bit late, isn't it? Younglings. And he all. had the higher ground, Helen. I mean, about <laughs> time though. Like it took him a long time to get there. All the damage was already done, so he yeah. wasn't a great hero in the prequel trilogy. So I feel like his placement here is really based on Episode Four, but. I would agree that the Clone Wars have gone some way to kind of justifying that 20 years of nothingness that we apparently used to have in between. And I hope that mm. the the Ewan McGregor series will go further and kind of redeem Obi-Wan a little bit. Like with the best will in the world, you know, you've got to explain what he's been up to and, and, and not just becoming a hermit on Tatooine. That's not kind of good enough in a way. Redeem Obi-Wan. You're damn right. That's what you, I said. You, in a few minutes' time, no spoilers, you were going to defend Steve Rogers. You're going You're to defend right him. damn right I am. Yeah. <laughs> I can do so that the only all thing day. I like to do to Steve Rogers. Oh, I can do that all day. <laughs> See what you did there. I understood that reference. Oh, I understood that reference. I understood both those references. This is incredible. Um... But yet, you Obi-Wan does not need redemption. Yes, okay, he took his eye off the ball vis-a-vis Anakin Skywalker, mm, which led to the deaths who, of all the Jedi yeah. and the younglings at the Jedi Academy. Mm-hmm. But can a person not make mistakes, Helen? <laughs> if you prick him, doth he not bleed? I mean, absolutely. I don't know, actually, in the Star Wars universe. I have never seen much blood. But um, but yes, no, I, look, I'm not saying he's a bad person, and he does go a long way to redeeming himself, obviously, with his fight against Darth Vader in Episode Four. But, like, in the original trilogy that we had, it looked like he'd been doing absolutely nothing for 20 years in between, so... That's not true. He, in The Phantom Menace, stood yeah. beside a much cooler fella. Uh, and got very sad when a much cooler but, fella but that's got the, killed. Um, it's the 20 years in between I'm talking about. Oh, well, the 20 years yeah. in between. But I'm just trying to defend him in terms of the, sure. the, the prequels. In the prequels, he hugs that fella who runs a diner and he's got six arms. So that's a big, that's a big <laughs> thing. He hunts down Django mm-hmm. Fett. Doesn't do a lot with that, but he, he hunts him down as well. And then he has a big fight with General Grievous and Revenge of the Sith, and he goes, hello there. And also, you know, one of the one of the big joys for me of the prequels is Ewan McGregor's performance, which, okay, that's, that's set Phantom Menace aside because I think only a few people come out of that movie unscathed in terms of acting, you know, Big Liam being one of them. And he does seem a little bit overawed at that point, Ewan, but he grows into the role gradually because he, he kind of treads a fine line that... Not a lot of people on this list have had to do, which is I've got to find my own characterization whilst at the same time doing an impression of one of the most famous actors of all time who had a really distinctive voice. And I think by the end of Revenge of the Sith, he has got that that lovely amalgam of Alec Guinness and himself. And I'm really excited to see what he does with that in uh, in this uh, in this limited series. Me too. And he rides that big lizard. That's a pretty good bit. He rides the big lizard. <laughs> and he rides a big lizard. Our definition lizard. of hero, guys, is getting really nebulous. Nebula? Where's Nebula? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that is number 19, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, number 18, when we were putting this little group together to discuss the, the heroes on the list, uh, Amon here said, I'm going to do 47 minutes on Thor. And then when we went into a second part and we have we were a bit strapped for time, uh, he has graciously agreed to talk a filibuster, I think is the phrase actually, uh, on Thor, who is number 18, for just 19 minutes. So we're going to put a clock in the corner of the screen. Amon Warman, take it away. 
the first thing to say is that I don't know who I need to talk to at Empire, but Thor has got maybe 35 words. If ever there was a hero on this list who's deserving of a four-page spread, <laughs> it's Thor Odinson. <laughs> so I don't know who I need to talk to, but what's going on? We're getting a verbal four-page spread now, is that what you're telling us? Personally, I think I'm a hero because I had 35 words to try and express how fucking cool it is when Thor comes into Wakanda in Avengers Infinity War. Trying, trying to sum Three up the majesty man. of that moment in 35 words was a Herculean <laughs> task, let me tell you. Oh my gosh. I mean, Herculean? What, Greek god suddenly? We're in Norse oh. mythology now, Ben. Come on. Thorian, surely. It's a Thorian task. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It is an immense moment, and I, as I've said previously, it is my favorite moment in the entire MCU. Yes, I include portals in that, which is a very close second. Um, but yeah, uh, Thor, at that point, you know, it's interesting. He, he, he's been on such an interesting journey. Um, you think about the Thor and Thor Ragnarok, you compare it to the Thor in the original Thor, and it's almost like it's two different characters to a point. Um, but they merged those two sort of uh, personality or different styles of Thor in a really cool way in Infinity War. And one thing, I'm not sure if you remember this, Chris, but this is before Infinity War came out. Now it's like, I really hope Thor gets really annoyed at some point in Infinity War because look at all the stuff that's happened to him in like the last um, however many months before Thanos arrives. And we haven't really seen Thor get really upset because you know one of my beats with Ragnarok a film I still really enjoy is that I don't think it quite gets mm. the balance mm. right between humor and you know actual emotional weight uh, and they bring those two those two things together in a really beautiful way in Infinity War uh, before he comes to Wakanda he has that scene in uh, Rocket Ship and that conversation that he has Chris Hemsworth still I think his favorite his best acted scene in the MCU is that moment he's phenomenal in that scene but that wakanda moment has everything and as someone who's who reads the comics and you know who knows how how powerful thor can be i've been waiting to see that version of thor for literally years so when it finally happened oh it's just it's, it's something which i'll never ever get tired of watching anytime i'm in a bad mood i put that on for at least 90 seconds Everything is right in the world again. <laughs> it's just great. It's it's my happy place, mm. and you know, it, ugh, just watching that scene over and over again is it's just it's just awesome. So yes, eighteen. It should be higher. And who do I need to talk to? Because <laughs> thirty five words. Come on, he's original <laughs> member MCU Trinity. You're gonna give this brother thirty five words. He got however many words for Iron Man and Captain America. There's something going on oh, here. Spoilers. Spoilers. There's something going. <laughs> but yes. It's a conspiracy, that's what it is. <laughs> and everyone's in on it, including her. Uh, just a little quote there from the Shawshank Redemption for you folks. Um, I'm on. Uh, God, that was actually quite short. I'm surprised. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a thank team, you for being I'm so generous player, with your time. Chris, you know. <laughs> like Thor. Like Thor is a team player. Uh, I think he may be the character. I mean, lots of characters in the MCU, lots of characters in the Avengers movies have, have undergone huge changes mm. over, over the movies. I mean, you look at uh, the, you know, the transformation banner has made from when we first pick him up in the, in the Avengers to the 
smart Banner Hulk fusion that we have at the end of Endgame. Uh, by the way, if you haven't seen these movies, you're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> okay, there's going to be lots of spoilers from here on in. But I, but I think that Thor has the biggest arc and undergoes the biggest changes profoundly, not just visually, uh, of any major character in the MCU from when we first meet him and he's this arrogant prince who's a warmonger in the first Thor movie to the the humble guy who actually you know who who finds it within himself to give up the throne of Asgard at the end of Endgame and embraces his true nature which is to be an adventurer to be a wandering spirit to to go around the universe mm. potentially writing wrongs and drinking beer and uh, you know and threatening <laughs> noob master 69 uh, and obviously there's so many changes within that you know from the Thor we see in Endgame who's had his prof- profound psychological breakdown and is suffering PTSD and depression uh, the Thor you know I'm with I'm with Amon completely I think the best Thor I love Thor Ragnarok but I think the best version of Thor is in Infinity War I think the character in that that is I don't think he's particularly well served in the first two Avengers movies. I'm mm-hmm. not sure Joss Whedon knew what to do with him in mm-hmm. Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, he doesn't show up in the first Avengers until 45 minutes in. He's the last Avenger to show up. Uh, but I think Infinity War, if it, if it can be anyone's movie it, it that is not Thanos, mm. it's Thor. Mm-hmm. It's Thor's movie. We, we start with him. He's the one who gets to put the hurt on Thanos towards the end, fucks it up, obviously, you know, but it's not his fault. Um, he has the, the he has the most heroic moment, which is, you know, as we discussed, his return to Wakanda. Uh, how he knows to go to Wakanda, I still don't know, but anyway. I mean, he has, an, he has an intergalactic rainbow bridge, but you're worried about where he's directing it? Like, that's your sticking point? Okay. Yeah. Sure. That's the point I gave up in the franchise. I was like, I've been, I've been infested in this, but this is just BS, guys. We, we filed that under things which don't matter because they're cool and we love it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Also, there's probably loads of scenes where he shows up in different places going, ah, bring me Thanos! No, they're not here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the one thing that's missing with Thor, and, and I'm literally just thinking of this now and I really should have covered it in our 10 hours of an endgame spoilers. Um, <laughs> we can always thing- do 11. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Um, the thing I feel like he's missing is actually a little bit of male bonding. Um, now, he has it with Rocket in both Infinity War and Endgame, but he never really has any anything major, anything meaningful with Tony and Steve and, and the other guys in the Avengers. And I kind of would have maybe liked to see a bit more of that sometimes. I guess sometimes with Hulk as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wonder I feel if we'll like get that with Peter Quill, where it leaves them at the end of Endgame in that spaceship. Mm-hmm. I, I think it'd be really fun to see those two sort of play it up more. I mean, but their 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 dynamic has been so competitive that I don't know if they can let their guard down and actually talk yeah. to one another like people. And I feel like that might have been just a cool thing to see in terms of his evolution and in terms of his kind of, you know, becoming mm. a bit more. That's fair. Well, I mean, but my favorite, my, I, th- I think I loved the fact that they, they, uh, they have him bond with Rocket. Oh yeah, Rocket in great. Infinity yeah. War and Endgame. Mm. Uh, that Rocket, who is in many ways kind of similar to Thor, in that you know he's he's a creature who lives for war. He's a creature who lives for mm-hmm. chaos and, and mischief. And he kind of I think recognizes a, a kindred spirit again in Thor. Yeah. And you know I've said this before in our uh, twenty five hours of Infinity War spoiler specials, but <laughs> the scene where Thor confesses 
to Rocket that he's gone through. You know, if you if you if you really take it, you know, Infinity War takes place immediately after Thor Ragnarok, where he's lost his his brother. You know, in the space of forty eight hours, he's lost his 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 dad. He's lost his brother. He's lost his sister that he never knew he had. Um, you know, he's lost his homeland. Mm-hmm. You know, he's lost everything. He already lost his best friend, his mum. He already as well. lost, yeah, yep. his best friend, his mum. He's lost everything, mm-hmm. and that that scene where he is very honest about it is tremendous and Hemsworth mm. I mean he's really oh good you know he's yeah. really good it's He's the real deal, I think. Mm-hmm. I think he really is, right. and uh, you know, he can he can do everything. He can play every shade that they throw at him, you know, from the sort of overly, you know, sometimes Hamsworth, <laughs> hammy nature of the first <laughs> Thor with his very Shakespearean overtones, to the, the sort of the deft, almost ridiculous comedy of of Ragnarok, and he can play the, the serious stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And he looks like he looks, which is simply not fair. <laughs> I've always felt that, uh, just as an additional point to what Heather's saying, that. Beneath all the battle banter, there is an inherent respect and brotherhood between uh, Thor and Steve. Mm, uh, I agree. I would have liked to have seen more of that, but I got that sense. Um, the sense is there, but do you know what I mean? Uh, Just like yeah. one or two more kind of substantial scenes, because those two in particular, I think would yeah. be, it would be lovely to see them talk. Yeah. And I, I genuinely, I can't think of a moment where they really have to any degree. Um, so yeah. Anyway, this is nitpicking mm. on a minute mm. scale, <laughs> yeah. um, but it is there. Yeah. yeah, it's tricky because all these things that we would have, you know, we would like to change maybe about the the MCU. Although the one thing with Thor that I would really love to change is to go back to the original Thor and have Hemsworth use his own, like not dye eyebrows. his yeah. eyebrows yeah. and beard. The thing it I just change is weird. that one line in Ultron where they kind of get the the the, the uh, syntax wrong for kind of medieval speak. You are none of you worthy. It should be instead of you are all of you not worthy. Oh, it really uh, okay. annoys me. Yeah. I, I would go back and just um, tilt the camera back so that it was like straight on because there's, there's a lot of Dutch angles going on there. <laughs> it's crazy that they didn't spot that, right? It's like they, they get the dailies. It's like the camera has fallen over. <laughs> it's okay. Do? We still just about got people in the frame. It's just a bit of a bit of a wonky, a bit of a wonky look. So, uh, is everyone happy? We're talking about yes. Thor. Amon, do you want another half hour? Do you want another forty-five yeah. minutes? Oh man, I could really do it, but. In the interest of time, because I'm a team player, <laughs> we can continue. You're very kind. All right. Okay. <laughs> Number 17 on the list, Sarah Connor. Mm. It's Sarah Connor. That was an impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger saying Sarah Connor, Thanks. in case you didn't yeah. get it. Sarah Connor from the Terminator movies. Um, let's go with Linda Hamilton here, and we will yes. ignore the existence of any other Sarah Connor. I'm not aware except of the, any others, not even Lena Headey's one, who really, you know... Should have been great and was fine, but uh, mm-hmm. but it is Linda Hamilton, the one true Sarah Connor, and I love that she literally, literally starts the film as the kind of person who has giant fluffy hair and mm-hmm. wears for her date night a peach cardigan. <laughs> that's the, that's our starting point. <laughs> Our, our like finishing point so far anyway is like the baddest badass who has ever badass and I just I mean you talk about a character arc that's a character arc yeah. you know I love yeah, her yeah look <laughs> I love the bit where she comes to Wakanda that's great oh isn't my it? god <laughs> Bring me <laughs> Every 
character in this list should have a moment where they, they show up in Wakanda when the shit's about to hit the fan. Um, I think most people will think of her in, in two, mm-hmm. Terminator 2 as Sarah Connor. But without Sarah Connor in the first Terminator, that film just does not work at all um, without her giving it the emotional heft. I would argue the emotional heft actually in that one comes from Michael Biehn. Um, she is the heroine. Um, he's the kind of, well, he he's the kind of person who teaches her how to, you know, be a heroine, but he... He's the one who has the emotional backstory. She's just like on the run. Um, he came across time for her. Mm. He Golly. loves her. He always has. He's such and a she babe falls in for movies. it. She falls for that. <laughs> the I the mean... only major Terminator character to have a one hundred percent record, as far as I'm concerned, of starring in only good Terminator movies. Uh, <laughs> that is a big deal to me because, as we all know, the Terminator franchise has not always been very good. Um, but. You know, the, the the Linda Hamilton entries, like I am in the apparently small minority group uh, that really, really enjoyed Terminator Dark Fate. And she was with you. She was one of the Same. main reasons for that. Um, so, so yeah, big fan mm. of Linda Hamilton. I, I think something that Helen got really right in her review of Dark Fate was pointing out that it clearly shows that the main character of those films always was Sarah Connor, that, that mm-hmm. she is the way into that story, um, and that I, th- I think it did a really good job of bringing her back um, in Dark Fate in a way that made you realise that, yes, Arnie is always going to be a, a hugely important part of the Terminator story, but... But especially when you look at, um, we talked a bit about how great that shift is between Terminator 1 and 2 when we talked about the Terminator itself. But one of the biggest ways you see that is in the way that Sarah Connor changes between those Mm -hmm. two films as well. And again, the way that they pushed her forward and the the scenes that she has with Arnie in Dark Fate, I think were actually generally really well done. And they kept her sort of humanity and her spiky wit and I think gave her a bit of a new mission in the story of, of Danny um, so yeah I, I, I'll stick up for that film as well and um, yeah Sarah Connor really is the, the sort of true hero of those films um, in every sense Fantastic character, fantastic uh, portrayal as well uh, but we're going to move on to number 16 which is Han Solo Yes, of course, the beloved character from the Fast and Furious franchise is. Can you check the spelling on on that one, Chris? I'm going to check the spelling of this one. Sorry, I got that wrong. It's Han Solo, played, of course, by Alden Ehrenreich in Solo, a Star Wars story. Can you check the spelling on that one, Chris? I'm checking this. It's Han Solo from the Star Wars films played by Harrison Ford. Sorry, thanks, Helen. Thank you. Where would I be without you fact checking me? Um, it's like it's like Twitter fact checking Trump in real time. This is this is incredible. Uh, Han Solo, too low. I'm surprised. See, this is interesting. This is one of the sort of you know little discrepancies that we get with these things. So the Empire readers voted a few months ago. I can't quite remember for the greatest Star Wars characters of all time, and Han Solo was number one with a bullet, like you know, <laughs> or a laser bullet. Like no one even came remotely close. Then this poll happens, and he's number 16, way behind Leia and Luke. Spoilers. Um, I guess but what's going on? I guess it's that hero-anti-hero conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because he's yes. a smuggler, he's scruffy looking, he looks like a nerf yes. herder. <laughs> I mean, so maybe, maybe that was why people sort of put him slightly further down the list of heroes, per se. But he also, does come he's... in at the last minute and, you know, save the day. Yeah, he's a really, really smug smuggler, isn't he? I mean, he, he really does put the smuggest smuggler. <laughs> yeah, and apparently, bad dad, not a great dad, mm-hmm. which is a shame. 
Um, <laughs> he is just the coolest guy in the galaxy, though. In fairness, apparently Leia's a bad mom, and uh, you know she's higher up the list. Spoiler. So there you go. There's bad moms yeah. three. Bad moms in space. <laughs> They, they did they did it was like it's like philip larkin in space they really fuck you up your mum and dad they may not <laughs> they really do but they do yeah. <laughs> they give you all the faults they had and add the force just for you like, yeah. <laughs> just a bit of larkin about there on the old emperor hey, podcast a level english for the win i know i tell you anyway what's on your what, uh, helen's got, indicating to her I've arm got poetry on my arm got shame on my arm I mean, not Shamus literal Haney. Seamus Haney, that would be, I'd be tired. Um, but I've got a line from a Seamus Haney poem on my arm. What is the line from the Seamus Haney poem? The line is, walk on air against your better judgment. Bloody hell, that's good. It is good, isn't it? That's good. Someone should have given right. him the Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> right, Han Solo. Yes, sorry. Uh, he <laughs> is the coolest guy in the galaxy, and he is somebody who's instinct isn't to do the right thing but he ultimately chooses to do it anyway which is probably a decent heroic trait to have i I think that's the difference like you said between um sort of luke and leia being spoiler alert higher up this list is that he probably (laughs) is the greatest soul wars character but he's probably not the ultimate hero but all of his flaws just make him that much cooler and especially then when he like softens over the course of the trilogy and he falls in love and he goes a bit gooey it really earns that because of how like tough and badass he is at the start and he, he still retains those qualities all the way through we, we stand a uh, a soft-hearted badass <laughs> <laughs> you like it because he's a scoundrel yeah I do. exactly i do it's weird as well how much of a role model he's been for other characters in film like um Flynn Entangled is the one who immediately comes to mind, who absolutely 100% follows that exact playbook. Um, but he's been so copied since, and no one has really come that close to him because, you know, Harrison yeah. Ford, man. Anytime you get into the level where, as, you know, having to lose to, I'm sure the course you will have, you know, when people are looking for characters, a, a, a Han Solo type character. Anytime you're reaching that level when you, 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 you're getting that kind of, you know, stipulation then, you know, that you've created something really indelible. And Mm. uh, that's why, you know, Han Solo is going to continue to be on these lists for years to come. Perhaps more than anyone else on this list, he looks bitching in a waistcoat. Mm. (laughs) That's a hard look to pull off. Waistcoats, let's face it, aren't particularly cool. (laughs) (laughs) You carry one off very well as well, It's it's basically Han Solo and then Amon. And then almost nobody else. What a great, what a great character! And uh, we're going to get uh, onto emissions later on, though. And um, I don't know if you have Han Solo. I don't know if he works even remotely the the same without his big furry friend alongside him. Um, and where the hell is Chewbacca on this list? You absolute bastard! <laughs> anyway, Han Solo. I love this character. I think he's absolutely tremendous. And uh, as much as the, the problems I do have with the Force Awakens have been well documented on this uh, on this podcast uh, over the years. Uh, but I think they got him right. Mm-hmm. I think they got Han Solo right. I think for the most part they got Chewie right, and and his send off is kind of interesting. And uh, you know, heroes don't always get the death they deserve, and I, oh, and that's interesting. I think that's a fantastic death, actually. Mm-hmm. I think no, that's I, the I, best no, that, part of that film. Allow me to allow me to clarify. I think it's a great death. I think it's handled really, really well. I don't think it's the death Han Solo deserves. He's stabbed through this, this, the uh, through the stomach by his son. Mm. Doesn't see it coming. That's not a heroic death. That's not the noble death that you imagine Han Solo will get. You know, going out all guns blazing, Butch and Cass- Butch Cassidy mm. and Sundance Kid style. So what I'm saying is, sometimes heroes 
can be stabbed in a in the back room of a bar and mm. just die out and bleed out slowly and no one knows about it. And uh, I think that's a, a really interesting note for that character. Mm. I, I really like the way that they did that. I think it really works with the way that Han evolves over the story, growing yeah. a heart and and the way that he then has changed um, in the intervening years between the trilogies. I think also just how the, the testament to how great a job they did with that is that, can you, can you believe that in the first of those films in the new trilogy, they kill the most beloved character and people didn't kick off about it. Mm. Like the fact that they managed to do that in a way that people didn't immediately just go absolutely fuck this film and Mm. storm out is sort of testament to how great a job that they did. And I I really like the way that it comes back into play sort of briefly in in Rise of Skywalker as well. I think that's beautifully handled. I I also think it's not quite fair to say he didn't see it coming because I think he absolutely knew that that was a risk. Um, And so... I, I like it for that. And also the fact that there's a kind of moment of almost acceptance even after he's stabbed um, when he's still looking at Ben. I think it's I think it's magnificently played by, by Harrison I don't Ford. want to turn this into a Force Awakens spoiler special, <laughs> no, no. but I don't, I, that's interesting. I don't think he does think, I think he, I think he thinks it's the one thing his son won't do. But let's move on because uh, we'll be here all day otherwise. <laughs> Number 15. Number 15. And it is Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. And what a spider can is finished 15 on a list of the greatest movie heroes of all time, apparently. Is this the hero on the list that has had possibly the most, most iterations. great, not just iterations, but great iterations? Like, I really, really like the Maguire Spider-Man. I grew up on that. I love what they did with Tom Holland in the MCU. I think that works so perfectly. It feels ultimately Spidey in a world where we've seen millions of, of Spider-Men. Um, then you have, I as much as the amazing Spider-Man films are not that amazing, I think Andrew Garfield is actually pretty good in them. Mm-hmm. Then you've Agreed. got flipping Miles Morales in mm-hmm. Into the Spider-Verse and all the other mm-hmm. Spider-People in that. You have so <laughs> yes. many incarnations of Spider-Men and they are all great. I would happily see any of them again. I wrote a big piece for the the magazine about Spider-Man and about, you know, the, the, the notion is expressed most obviously in uh, Spider-Verse about the, the notion of anyone can wear the mask. And in a way, for me, that's almost more important than with great power comes great responsibility in terms of nailing what it is about Spider-Man that is intrinsically heroic. Mm. You know, that it's, a, it's a, always, it's a little guy, it's a teenager in most uh, most versions of the character. It's a teenager who is hopelessly outmatched, hopelessly out of his depth, but he keeps fighting for what is right. He keeps fighting for what he believes in. And you can do, you can put him through all kinds of emotional and psychological torment. You can dump a load of rubble on his back, but he will never, ever give up. And that's one of the reasons why I love this character, whether it's, whether it's Peter, whether it's Peter B. Parker, whether it's Peter Porker, or whether it's Miles Morales. <laughs> I think there's something that links all those characters. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think, that's kind of a, a big part of it. I think also Spider-Man is one of the very few superheroes, or certainly was one one of the first superheroes whose life was made actively much worse by the acquisition of superpowers. Um, and, and that is really key to his character, that is that he is still trying to manage everything that we have to manage in our lives, money and work and school and family and uh, girlfriend or boyfriend and all these things. And he's also trying to save the world. And it's just, it's too much for anyone. Of course, it's too much for anyone. And yet he does it anyway, because of, he has to, because it, it feels, he, he, he feels obligated um, by his own goodness. And I just think he's wonderful. I think in terms of pure heroism, he should be higher up this list. I think he is one of the purest heroes that fiction mm. has created. 
I, I agree with everything that Helen said, but I also like the fact that because, especially in a lot of our incarnations, he is a teenager, he's also somebody who finds the joy in his powers as well. Like he's battling with so many things, but I love the fact that he's got that childish energy to him that means he's just like, can you believe that I am flying through New York right now on my webs? <laughs> and that, that sort of freewheeling energy, especially I think they capture that super well in the MCU films. Yeah. Um, the sort of, the mixture of, of responsibility, but also the joy that he feels is, is great. I I love sort of many of the iterations of Spider-Man, which we've just talked about over the past few minutes, but that Miles Morales one in Spider-Verse is really mm. special to me because I don't think any film, any TV show of which I've watched several, has found the essence of the character so pointedly and brought that out in such a powerful way as Spider-Verse does. And the fact that it is a black Latino Spider-Man only reinforces the message anyone can wear the mask because, you know, whilst that message is true before Spider-Verse, we've only really at that point ever seen a white person do that. To have a black Latino person do that was really powerful. And it's that version of Spider-Man, which I'm most excited to see going forward on screen. Mm. I mean, just the origin story of Miles Morales in general is kind of amazing. The, the way that, uh, was it Brian Michael Bendis? Um, that there yeah, was sort of yeah. fan calls on Twitter and there was all the talk about Donald Glover and then he created mm-hmm. that character and then that was reflected in mm-hmm. Community. Donald, uh, Donald Glover wore a mm-hmm. Spider-Man costume in Community yeah. and then obviously then Donald Glover being cast in Homecoming mm-hmm. and the, all, the, all the way that that came together, the, the way that for the better fans and creators can take ownership of a character and create something new out of them that feels utterly right for that character but Mm -hmm. also something that is moving with the times that is offering better representation i think is Mm. um an incredible thing it's it's another lovable part of the whole of spider-man yeah i love that when people will something into existence isn't it that's great like when sam jackson went in the talk show and went i want to be in star wars (laughs) (laughs) and lo and behold he ended up in star wars uh yes spider-man spider-man Spider-Man, number 15. What a fantastic character, even the Andrew Garfield version. Number 14. Uh, Now, this is a character that has to date been played by only one actor. And I struggle to see, well, although you could argue that it's a completely different character in Die Hard's 4 and 5. It is, of course, John McClane. I mean, yeah, talk about a sort of blue collar, uh, average Joe kind of hero uh, turned, you know, somehow world beater i think uh, i think john mcclain is the he's the guy that all cops would like to be and pretty much none <laughs> are and and almost none should be if mm. we're honest um but he's so fantastic in those films and and <laughs> yeah he's a hothead <laughs> who shoots first and asks yeah. questions later yeah I think. quite literally yeah, yeah. or never uh, alternatively, you know, if that's if that's an option, he can just not ask questions. Um, but he does get put through the ringer again. It's this determination and it's this um, kind of ability to use whatever comes to hand and, and improvise with whatever he has, whether that's, you know, Christmas tape or whether it's putting up with incredibly badly cut feet or whether it's a fire hose on the top of a building. Like he will mm. find a way to get through and do what needs to be done. And it's that kind of, I think, determination and, and absolute refusal to quit that makes yeah. him a hero. And he's got a sense of humor about it the whole way mm. as well. Like the fact that he's always like remains cool and calm and collected and throws out amazing quips while he's doing it <laughs> um is is even more endearing. 
Yeah. yeah. No shit, lady. You look like I'm ordering a fucking pizza. <laughs> Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. <laughs> there's, a, there's a really, and this is true of many people on this list, but there's a really fun balance of highly capable, but also pleasingly vulnerable in John McClane. Mm. And yeah, you know, that's very fun. That's very entertaining to watch all the time. Uh, so yeah, no, very well deserved. I'm not sure I'd have him this high though. 14 seems a little high to me. Possibly. It's a weird thing because it's one of my favorite movies. And I think for me, it's one of the greatest movies of all time. You know, it's it's one of those scripts that should be studied in, mm. in screenplay school. Yeah. I don't know if they have a screenplay school, but if they do, <laughs> they, should, they should definitely study it. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's one of those wonderful movies where every part means something. Every character has something to do, whether it's even the guy, even Walt down Nakatomi, who has to shut down the building, has a line that sticks in your mind. And, uh, you know, and it's a movie that could so easily have just been the Hans Gruber show because Alan Rickman is so iconic mm-hmm. and so indelible as Hans Gruber in that movie that he could have just blown his opposite number off screen. And it's a testament, I think, to Bruce Willis and John McTiernan and and the writers, of course, um, Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza, that that doesn't happen, that the movie, that you maintain your emotional investment in John McClane, mm-hmm. even when his... Uh, his evil counterpart is a swaggering, stylish, cool homber that you really want to see kind of secretly get away with it and you know, at least live to fight another day. You, you're quite sad, I think, when Hans Gruber gets killed. Uh, at least I am because I'm a Monster. sociopath. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> but John McClane is, he is an everyman. He is, you know, he, the John McClane of um, Good Day to Die Hard and um, Die Hard 4.0, as we call it over here in this in this country, um, is not this John McClane. This, this is a John McClane who is an ordinary guy. He's a decent cop, but you get the sense as well that he's not, you know, he's not top of his class in any way, shape, or form necessarily. Uh, you know, he he's a guy who gets beaten down. He gets beaten up. He uh, he has emotional breakdowns. He feels that he's going to die. He has an emotional scene with Al where, you know, he he uh, he wants to, he confesses his love for his wife, which is, you know, still really, really moving. You know, but again, like so many heroes in this list, no matter how many licks he takes, he still gets up and keeps going and still finds a way to to still finds a way to win. And um, you know, I'm not sure that the character I'm not even sure it's the same character in Die Hard Two. Uh Die Hard Three, perhaps more so, but uh this is the movie that is John McClane for me. Yeah. Uh, and whenever they talked about doing that uh, Die Hard John McClane origin story a few years <laughs> ago, which hopefully will never happen. Lord. It just it just rubbed me up the wrong way yeah. because a, you're looking at the wrong place. The Die Hard prequel you should be doing is how Hans Gruber assembled his team. <laughs> the second thing is, um, you know, this is the John McClane origin story mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. If something extraordinary has happened to him before the Nakatomi Plaza, it completely undermines the point of this movie. Yep. Anyway, rant over. I love this character. Uh, it's great seeing Bruce Willis with his own hair uh, and a full two thumbs up there for John McClane. Mm-hmm. Now, number 13 and number 12, I'm going to take together. Because they're from the same movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the same movie trilogy. Uh, and also, I'm really stunned about number 12 oh. being this high. I am no, stunned. No, and I want you guys to talk me around. I want you guys is, to talk me around. Okay, this is super correct. Just before we yes. just before mm-hmm. get any further. I'm, but, I'm uh, thrilled at the way round that these two yeah. are. There are four characters from Lord of the Rings on this list. We've already had uh, Frodo. We've already had Gandalf. Number 13 is Aragorn. Number 12... Is Treebeard? No, it's not. Number twelve 
is this is even a little fake else, a little bit of a fake else. Number twelve is Samwise Gamgee. Yes. Now, I don't think this poll this poll can carry many things, but it can carry that off. <laughs> no. what, what's what's happened? Why? What? What? Tell what? Because what, tell me what Sam will literally carry you when you mm. can't go any further. My God, have you seen the size awesome. of me, Helen? He'd have his work cut out. Yes, it's Sam. Look, okay, so. We'll, we'll get to Aragorn in a minute because I, I absolutely adore him and, mm-hmm. and we'll absolutely fight his corner forever. But Sam <laughs> is a gardener. Sam is literally a dude who, you know, mulches things, whatever that is, and grows things. That's all he does in life. And yet... Potatoes. Pro- yes, definitely. I mean, he loves potatoes. That alone should earn him a place on the list. But he is a guy who's only... Like his big challenge when we meet him is whether he should ask the girl he fancies out. That is the kind of thing that absolutely makes his blood run cold and completely freaks him out when we meet him. He then faces the bad shit of an entire continent. He faces monsters, trolls, cave trolls, balrogs, and he never ever puts his own safety first. He's always, always looking out for his dude. Um, and trying to make sure that that his you know beloved ma- master Frodo gets the job done. He is selfless. He is helpful. He is determined. He's freaking amazing, and he's a great ambassador for potatoes. I'm always looking out for my dude. <laughs> Famous line from Lord of the Rings. Just the absolute ultimate wrong place at the wrong time. Like imagine if you're you're just doing a spot of gardening one night and then you get pulled into all of this shit. But it, you look at that scene at the end of Fellowship of the Ring where even though he can't swim, he wades through the water to get to Frodo. Mm-hmm. And like even right there, even before they've got anywhere close to Mordor, that is just an amazing testament yeah. of like this dude is going to be with you the whole way, even if it's extremely dangerous and someone's actually going to have to go and save him and. and it's going to cause everyone more trouble to stop him from drowning he will still wade through the water that he can't swim across just to make sure that he's at your side and and Mm -hmm. the fact that he is above aragorn in this list is it's the whole point of lord of the rings that it's it's the the people who are short of stature who do the absolute Mm -hmm. most can be as much Mm -hmm. of a hero as Mm -hmm. a big guy with a beard and a sword I would just say very quickly as well that he's not just he doesn't just happen to be in the garden that night. If if you read the books anyway, he is literally looking out for Mr. Frodo. He's essentially spying on him for his own safety because he knows <laughs> some shit is up. Yeah. So oh, yeah. what a guy. No, I completely agree with all of that. And I'd only add that ninety-seven percent of the characters in Lord of the Rings, they're in that close proximity to the one ring. They are trying to take it off Frodo long before, you know, Sam, I think he's tempted once when he's handing the ring back to Frodo. That is literally it for the Mm -hmm. entire trilogy. How many other characters would have been able to do that? Very, very few. Uh, So that alone, I think, is impressive. Yeah. Even Aragorn has more hesitation, which is why he's number 13. Interesting. Uh, But he is also awesome, like for the record. Yeah. Okay. Well, I uh, I'm not sure you've completely taught me around, but um, I can see why he's on this list. So thank you at least for that. But I still think in the in the stakes of ordinary guys who are trying to fight overwhelming forces of darkness and evil whilst in bare feet, I would still swap him with John McClane uh, <laughs> on this list. But you've convinced me. Okay, I will I will let this one pass. Uh, Aragorn. The world's greatest Son door opener. He is the world's greatest door opener. <laughs> that is true. That, so that's one reason to have him here. I mean, All I right, think. Number I think, 11. <laughs> I, think, 
I think he's also really good because uh, the lost heir to the kingdom shit is tired and was tired even when Lord of the Rings was written, let's be honest. Um, but he does it so freaking well, that sort of reluctant heir to the throne, the guy who has kind of run away from his own destiny, but still tried to make himself useful in other ways by being a ranger. Um, mm. And and then again, it's, it's the determination, it's the refusal to be cowed by enormous odds. You know, it's the, uh, his goodbye to Frodo always really sticks out to me. You know, I would have stood with you till the end, mm. but he realizes he is a danger and he realizes the truth of Frodo's statement, can you protect me from yourself? So he sends him off and then covers his escape by literally just walking out to face like a bajillion uh, orcs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a sword. Because cool. Mm. I mean, that's, he literally yeah. just fights his way through all of them. It's one of the most awesome things I've ever seen in the cinema and one of my favorite cinema going experiences ever at that moment. Oh my God. If, yeah. if you're talking about character arcs, if you're talking about where somebody begins and where they ends, the fact that at the beginning of um, Fellowship of the Ring, he's he's Strider, he's the quiet dude at the back of the pub with his hood on, smoking his little pipe, from there to where he ends up, leading the army, leading the army of the dead, um, with his sword, leader of men, leader of all the armies, it's it's incredible, the, the sort of scope mm. of that arc. And mm. I think I spoke mm. a bit in the first half of this um, sort of two-parter, about the fact that when I first saw these films, when I was quite a bit younger, I only really connected with the Frodo story. And it was seeing Lord of the Rings again when I was a bit older that was just like, oh my God, the Aragorn story is absolutely amazing. And despite the fact that he's a badass, that despite the fact that he is like a warrior hero, I love that so much of his story is kind of quite romantic. Mm-hmm. Um, that he they give him that vulnerability and that emotional side as well. And I think that's something that... Um, a lot of great heroes need, especially as a sort of role model for people to look up to, people who can be actively heroic and action-packed, but also have a real heart to them, um, mm-hmm. I think is is a really great combination. Yeah. 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 Now, Helen, you were at the hero moment for this one, and it's definitely a really cool moment, which I really love. I think I would have gone with the moment in the Two Towers where, you know, King Theoden is, you know, basically trying to hide the fact that these are just insurmountable odds, but mm-hmm. and even Legolas is freaking out. But Aragorn is like still <laughs> staying the course. You no, know, I will fight with them anyway. That's mm-hmm. true heroism for, uh, for me. And you know, Aragorn's fantastic character. And Viggo Mortensen plays the hell out of him. I, I, you know, I need to think about his filmography, but in terms of the, the character he's going to be remembered for most, will definitely be that one. Yeah. Oh god, oh, really? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would also uh, give a nod to the moment in the third film. There may come a day when the courage of man, man fails, but it is not this day. Oh, this day so we good. fight. It is tomorrow. <laughs> it might be tomorrow. I'm not saying it's not tomorrow. Just after it's lunch not today. Yeah. Uh, very, very quickly, will we be having this discussion if they had stayed the course and kept on with Stuart Townsend? I mean, you know, nope. maybe, but I don't think so. Just because I think so much of his weight and authority in those movies comes from the very. Um, very real sense that Viggo Mortensen is a, is a sort of philosopher poet in in himself in real life, and and that kind of comes across, I think, in the character and and adds definite depth to him. Also older, I think, as well, which yeah. which really which really helps. Um, all right, okay, Aragorn and Samwise, thirteen oh. and number twelve. We're so close to the top ten, guys. That'll <laughs> be another four hour podcast if it's on the way we're going. But number eleven is. Wonder Woman. Wait a minute, this is about the iconic theme tunes. What's 
you're thinking you're thinking just wait until we get to batman and then it's gonna be it's gonna be oh, kicking God. off uh, wonder woman is at number 11 yeah I I think I quoted this in the feature, so I'm repeating myself. But there was a there was a tweet online when when the first film came out, uh, where some a, a woman went to see it, and she said, "I've just seen one film with a female hero, and I feel like I could take on the entire world." Um, is this how men feel all the time? Uh, and this is that that's genuinely the feeling. She was she was what we kind of needed to see. I think we've had a lot of badass heroines. But one who embraces embraces her femininity at the same time is a much rarer thing to see. Um, I mean, there's a couple on this list, obviously, and some of them we still have to get to. But it is still a rare thing. There are only 14 women on this list, not 25. You know, we're not half of um, of the, the the heroes out there. So, seeing Wonder Woman, seeing the first big solo female superheroine lead of the modern era was a huge huge deal um and mm. and she delivered so well she i mean i only knew her from the fast and furious films before this and she mm. absolutely knocked it out of the park as wonder woman it's very hard to imagine anyone else she being gal gadot of even, course yes yeah, she being gal gadot mm. even linda carter has has faded somewhat by comparison and linda carter is the person i grew up with so yeah really full credit well i grew up with my parents I mean, look, I was tiny, but I literally used to go into playgroup and spin around. The boys would make guns out of Lego and I'd spin around with my arms crossed and say that the bullets were all I can fully believe that Helen grew up on Themyscira. That just completely makes sense to me. Absolutely, 100%. Helen is a warrior poet, the Themyscira warrior poet. No comment. <laughs> I, I, I think there's something really lovable about Wonder Woman as a character again that combination that she is so pure of heart uh, I think we've seen a lot um, in recent years of, of um, having these sort of tortured superhero characters who are really torn between I don't know whatever like bullshit they're affected by and <laughs> Batman still to come <laughs> my parents are dead especially then it, not only now in the wake of <laughs> Not only in the wake of the Nolan trilogy, but also in the wake of um, of Man of Steel, which took Superman and tried to make him a murky character in a way that, for my liking, really didn't work. Mm -hmm. um, the way that they took Wonder Woman and kept the absolute essence of, of that positivity, of that hope, mm -hmm. um, I think was just, just the right way to go with it. And um, yeah, as, as Helen said, Gal Gadot really embodies that, as well as all of the amazing sort of uh, badass fighting. And, mm -hmm. and the, the the scene in, in Wonder Woman where she goes over the top in, oh, in no World War One is, um, oh, yeah. yeah, the No Incredible. Man's Land sequence is, yeah. is amazing. Did I mention I was there that day? I probably haven't mentioned it, but... Oh my God. Oh, you, you were the first one to go over the top, and they were like, no, Helen, <laughs> it really needs to be Diana. And look, yeah. I know none of you think about Gal Gadot that way, so I'm just going to be the one to say it. Like, she's the most stunning person in the world. And, and that yeah, she? Also, I hadn't noticed. <laughs> but you genuinely, like, she gets in that costume and you think she's a goddess. Like, oh. it's it's unbelievable. So... To, to yeah. also embody the character the way that she does in real life, I think is is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, yeah one of the one of the the uh, the things about the first Wonder Woman movie because we haven't seen 1984 yet is that how you know you have to buy in and you, you have to believe so quickly that Steve Trevor would fall for Diana like instantly and. Gal Gadot looking like Gal Gadot really helps <laughs> in that regard. Just a bit. Uh, but she's she's tremendous. She really gets to the the you know this sounds like a wanky phrase, but it really gets to the inner beauty of the character. And mm -hmm. I think it's very easy now to forget 
Not that I don't think she was botched necessarily in Dawn of Justice, but we didn't really get to know her or see her. And she was there basically on the periphery of the story uh, until she shows up at the end and, you know, then helps out in the big mm-hmm. fight against Doomsday. And obviously, you know, even then they had the, the bitch in hand. So Hans Zimmer, electric cello score. And so it, it was all good. But I don't think we were particularly buoyed about the prospect of the Wonder Woman solo movie. Um, and I think I saw it with you, Helen, the first time. I, I, I can't remember but I absolutely love that film. Mm. I think it's I think it's tremendous. I think it's the best thing that in the DCEU by a country mile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh and she's she's so great in it and she yeah, you know, absolutely right. She gets the simplicity and the 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 beauty of Diana, you know, that she's such a uh you know, she's so honest and so kind uh and she's good at the you know, she's good at little comedy beats as well. She can handle mm-hmm. the action stuff. It's yeah, really really mm-hmm. solid character, solid foundation I think uh, on which to build going forward as well. Yeah. Now Paddy Jenkins was the first first director in the DCEU to fully and truly understand why that character, why one of these characters works. I don't think Man of Steel quite did that. And I know for damn sure Donald Justice did not do that. Wonder Woman did. And it really sort of, you know, was the reason, main reason for me why that movie worked so well. Um, and in, in, in part one, I talked about, you know, heroes defying authority to do the right thing. In Wonder Woman's case, it's an even bigger deal because the authority is her mother and she's going against literally centuries of tradition. We do not leave this island, but Mm -hmm. she has to go and do the right thing anyway. Again, another really heroic act and I really enjoyed the movie. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for Mm -hmm. 84. Hey everyone, it's Chris here jumping in at the end of our Wonder Woman discussion to tell you what you already know in your heart of hearts, that this two-parter is about to become a three-parter. Oh yes, I always saw this as a trilogy, and this time I mean that. Kind of. Uh, yes, it's become apparent in post, as we say in the business, that a full countdown of the top 25 greatest movie heroes of all time would be clocking in around the three-hour mark. So because I'm the hero you deserve and the one you need right now, and also, quite frankly, I need some sleep right now. I've decided to bring you the top 10 in a separate pod, which will be up early next week. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed these episodes and you want to read the list of the greatest movie heroes and the fabulous features and interviews contained therein, or if you simply want to get a sneak peek at the top 10, then highly to your nearest newsagent, good, evil, or virtual, post haste. And we'll also be discussing omissions from the list on that pod, and believe me when I say that could almost be a podcast in itself. Where, for example, is Paddington, you cold-hearted beasts, the hardest of hard stares for you. But anyway, that discussion can wait for another day because that is it for me, and that is it for part two of our countdown of the 50 greatest movie heroes of all time. And, of course, that means it's goodbye from Helen, Amon, and Ben as well. But because, yes, this has been recorded after the fact, and this bit has been recorded at 2.38 in the morning, you will just have to imagine their goodbyes. Well, not goodbyes. Because what's done is done. When we say it's done. Thanks for listening. See you next time.